So how, mov- how many of you guys have a best friend? Yeah. How many of you have more than one best friend? Okay, that's like a majority of the group. Okay. <laughs> well, if you guys weren't here when I last spoke, um, I'm a pretty shy person, and I've been that way for most of my life. Um, but that means that I'm usually like more of like a one to two person, like friend group kind of a person. So I usually don't usually have more than one best friend. Um, do you mind if I actually introduce you guys to my best friend? Cool. So her name is Bree. There should be a picture. Yeah. Funny faces. I literally can't find any picture where we're like just normally smiling. So that's what you get. <laughs> but yeah, so she's been like one of my oldest friends. Um, do you guys mind if I tell you a story about me and Bree from high school? Cool. Um, so I have to give some background for my story first. So by the time of my story, Bree and I had known each other for about two years, um, and we had been in Girl Scouts together in like school, but we like didn't know each other really well. Um, but all that changed during the end of our sophomore year, or our freshman year, sorry, when Bree and her mom got evicted from their apartment. It was actually pretty bad, guys. They like got kicked out right before we were heading to Girl Scout camp, and so they were literally like packing up their stuff before we like left. It was really bad. And they didn't have anywhere to live for probably like the whole summer. Um, so my mom and dad were thankfully like really, really kind people. And they ended up deciding that Bree should come and live with us for our sophomore year. And this is when we started getting really close. I mean, it's not hard when you live together, right? <laughs> if you guys have roommates, you should know. You get close really fast or you move out, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah, so yeah. But this was also like the most tumultuous time of our relationship. Like when you start to live with each other, with somebody, especially your friend, it kind of changes your relationship a lot, you know? (laughs) And we like had a huge fight this year. Have any of you guys ever had like a really bad fight with your friend? Yeah. Have you ever had the kind of blow up fight where you like really don't talk to each other for maybe like a few days or even a week? Yeah, I've had one of those. Well, during that year, me and Brie had our worst fight. And I will admit now that it was mostly my fault. (laughs) I know, it sucks, but I can admit it now. So what happened was one day I came home from swim practice, and I found Brie sitting at the kitchen table with my mom, just, like, bawling her eyes out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what happened? And so, like a good concerned friend, I'm like, what's wrong, Brie? And so she tells me that her cousins, who live in the Midwest, got caught in a tornado. And if you guys know what a tornado is, it kind of just, like, bowls everything over. So, like, usually everything is, like, leveled after a tornado comes through. So I can understand why she was freaked out. (laughs) So I I gave her a hug, and I asked if she knew if they were okay. And she just said that, yeah, they were okay. The tornado was gone. They had, like, their house had gotten hit a little bit, but, like, they were fine but she's still bawling and freaking out. So at this point, I'm like, okay, you know they're fine, but why are you still crying? I didn't really get it. And like, this was definitely not my best moment ever. (laughs) I don't necessarily remember exactly what I said, but I'm sure it was something like, well, if they're fine, why are you crying? So yeah, learn from my mistakes, guys. If your friend is crying, do not ask them this type of question. And guys, if your girlfriend is crying, Do not ask her this type of question. (laughs) It's not a good way to handle any type of emotional situation. (laughs) 
especially because like when I asked her this, Bree just starts like yelling at me. Like she was so emotional that she just starts yelling at me, and I'm like, I don't know what to do, and so. I feel attacked, so I just start yelling back, and it's just like, oh, it's bad, guys. <laughs> Eventually, Bree just goes and storms up into her room and, like, slams the door, and I'm like, what just happened? And my mom, who has been watching this whole exchange, puts on, like, her mom lecturing voice. She, like, she knows that, like, I was not in the right in this, and so she, like, tells me straight up that I wasn't being very empathetic and that I should go and apologize, like, right now. But... Me being like the stubborn person that I am, I was like, why do I need to apologize? I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was not very smart at this age, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so I really didn't understand why Brie was upset, and I didn't see how my behavior had been hurtful and rude. I thought she was just overreacting. So tonight we're going to go through Genesis, and previously in Genesis, we've seen that there's been a decent amount of conflict, kind of like my fight with Bree. We've seen Adam and Eve's conflict, Cain and Abel's, the people of Babel and God's, and all of these conflicts had misunderstandings, jealousy, and broken relationships, kind of like my fight with Bree. But tonight we're going to be looking at another instance of conflict in the Bible, and we're going to see how God's people handle it. So before we get into it, I'll pray. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity that we get to read about another group of people that you impacted. I just pray that you would keep our hearts and minds open to what you have to say through your word and whatever you want to speak through me. I pray that um, you'd really speak through me and that it would be your words and not my own. Um, yeah, and that we could all just be really open to that. In your name we pray. Amen. So last week we heard from Brandon about Abraham. And we heard about how Abraham was super responsible with God, what God had given him. And he was so responsible that God ended up giving him more responsibilities, which was really cool, right? Since we don't have time this quarter to hit every great story in Genesis, sorry guys, I know you're bummed, um, we are going to be jumping ahead to the story of Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau. Now if you guys don't know, Abraham eventually had a son in his old age. Like he was really old, guys. It was kind of sad. Um, but God promised, and he had a son, and his name was Isaac. Now, we're not going to go over Isaac's life, but there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens between when Isaac is born and when Isaac has his sons. So make sure you guys check it out, and maybe read it in your God times this next week. So we'll start out our story with the birth of Jacob and Esau. So let's turn to Genesis 25 and read verses 19 through 26 where we'll get some background on the family history and learn about the circumstances of the twins' birth. So this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, from Padam Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from you within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the other will older will serve the younger. 
when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. As you can see through the prophecy that Rebekah gets, it kind of looks like there's going to be conflict between the boys, even even like before they're born. God says they will be divided, that the older will serve the younger. And this is really not normal for this time, guys. If you know anything about like inheritance and that type of stuff, you know that like during this time in the ancient Near East, the oldest son was like the most important. He was like the firstborn. He was the one who gains a double portion of the inheritance, so he got like twice as much as his other siblings. And in the case of Esau, this means that he got everything his father owns. And Jacob didn't get anything because there was like only two of them. And so this is very abnormal and against the culture of the time for God to say that the older will serve the younger. And we shall see that this is the cause of most of the conflict within the family. Another important thing that we see in this passage is the specific naming of the two boys. They're really specifically named for how they behave when they're born. Esau's name means hairy because he was covered in hair when he was born. It's pretty literal, isn't it? <laughs> and Jacob was named, uh, was called Jacob because he was clasping Esau's heel. And so Jacob means he grasps the heel. But Jacob's name also is a Hebrew idiom for he deceives, which is kind of interesting and is really important for the rest of the story. Their names, these boys' names kind of foreshadow their future and their uh, personalities. And we'll see that as we go on. So as the boys grew up, it can be seen that they are very, very different from each other. Esau is a man of the open country. He likes to hunt, do athletic things, and eat wild game. I always imagine Esau being really buff, kind of like that, and holding a spear or something and wearing a bunch of animal skins. On top of that, um, on top of being a very rough, outdoorsy man, Esau is also his father's favorite son. Isaac loves the game that Esau brings home. He loves the deer and like whatever weird animals they had around back then. And I get that. Like I like meat too, so I can understand Isaac. But anyways, Jacob, on the other hand, is a reader. He's probably pretty skinny because he just stays among the tents and doesn't really leave. He's an intellectual, and I don't know why, but I always imagine Jacob with glasses reclining in his tent reading a scroll. Obviously, they didn't have glasses back then, so he probably was like just holding it close to his face. But hopefully, he didn't have bad eyesight, but you know. But Jacob is also his mother's favorite son. He is her youngest, her baby. And I don't know why, but moms always tend to like really care and like love and protect their like youngest child. Do we have any youngest children in here? Yeah. I'm an oldest, so that doesn't, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get much of the babying. <laughs> Anyways, but Rebecca not only recognizes that Jacob is her baby and like loves him for that, he, she also recognizes and remembers the prophecy that the Lord gave and realizes that Jacob is God's chosen person. So these two kind of remind me of some other brothers you guys might be more familiar with. <laughs> Can you guys see the similarities? <laughs> Yep. 
I think Loki is a lot like Jacob in that he's like skinny and intellectual and mischievous. And then Thor is a lot like Esau and is like big and buff and like warrior dude. So I thought this was pretty cool. <laughs> yep. So going on in our story, it doesn't look like there's much conflict yet. Um, but the favoritism of the boy's parents and the differences between them all play into the future conflict. So let's turn to Genesis 25 again and read verses 19 through 34. This is when the beginning of the conflict starts. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he, would, he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. This is a really interesting scene, isn't it? Jacob is really deceptive and manipulative, isn't he? For being God's chosen, Jacob doesn't look too good in this passage. But Esau doesn't act exactly look really good either. Esau is so hungry and desperate for food that he isn't thinking. He sells off his birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. And you guys remember, his birthright is all that his father owns. That's a really drastic thing to sell for a bowl of stew. But sadly, Esau shows us that he doesn't care about his birthright. Esau shows us that he lives for momentary pleasure and doesn't value his birthright or what it symbolizes, which is the promise of God's blessing, which is a big thing, isn't it? I think so. Esau didn't care about the future God had for him. All he could see was the present moment and his hunger. He wasn't able to see past to the future that God might have for him. How often do we live our lives for momentary pleasure like Esau? How often do we only see the present moment and forget about the future that God might have for us? I know I've done, probably done this many times. <laughs> Some examples, extreme examples of this might be giving up on finishing that homework assignment for one more episode of your favorite show, having one too many at a party because everybody else is doing it, why not? Having sex with your significant other in the moment because you just can't help yourself. All of these things are really damaging things and they'll affect both your future, your relationship with God and potentially your relationship with others. This is just like the thing that Esau does. His momentary hunger affected his future and his relationship with God. This is why, as God's children, we need to be filled with the Spirit so we can have self-control, so we don't end up in the foolish situation that Esau found himself in. And sadly, guys, I'm sad to say, it only gets worse for Esau from here. And this isn't necessarily like Esau's fault. Jacob just is not a nice person. <laughs> so Jacob goes on, and with the help of his mother, deceives his father into giving him Esau's blessing. So it's a tradition in the Near East that, you know, the father would give the blessing to the first son. 
and that was like to pass down God's blessing, basically. Um, but the father only has one blessing, sadly. Like he can only bless one son. So while Esau is out hunting for his father, Jacob dresses up like him and brings his father a meal made by his mother. Isaac buys it and blesses Jacob, asking God to give him wealth and saying that he will rule over his brother and the nations will bow down to him. This is a pretty great blessing, isn't it? Yeah. I feel bad for Esau. <laughs> so this is a really big deal because when Esau comes back with a game for his father, um, his father has no blessing for him. He literally gave it to his other brother, the youngest. And so instead of blessing Esau, he curses him instead. As you can imagine, Esau is probably furious. He is so angry that he wants to kill his brother. I probably would too. He was this mean and deceptive. So Rebecca tells Jacob to flee from, her bro from his brother um, and go to his uncle's house. And that he lives pretty far away. And so Jacob flees with only his walking stick and the clothing clothes on his back. Now some of you might be asking at this point, why did God choose Jacob? He doesn't seem like a very good person, does he? He has deceived his brother twice and taken things from him. I think that this is one of the coolest part of the story because it shows God's mercy. As we read in Romans 9, 11 through 16, it says, Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything, good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on those who I have mercy, and I will com have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. As we can see from these verses, God didn't choose Jacob because he was a good person. He chose Jacob because God himself is merciful. I think this fact can bring us such hope. Because doesn't God do the same for us? He chooses us as sons and daughters, not because we are good people, but because of his mercy. God was merciful enough to send Jesus and have him die so that we could be chosen by God. Isn't this great, guys? So while Jacob's election can bring us hope, I think the rest of Jacob's life can also give us hope. Because God doesn't let Jacob continue to be deceitful. We see the start of God's refining process begin when Jacob goes to his uncle's house and is deceived by him. He kind of gets a taste of his own medicine, which is kind of funny. <laughs> he ends up marrying both of Laban's daughters, which he doesn't want to do. He sadly really likes the younger one and doesn't really like the older one, but he ends up marrying both of them. Kind of sucks for him. And he also, along with marrying one of Laban's daughters that he doesn't want to marry, he also ends up stuck working for his uncle for years because of this deception. Just as Jacob deceived his own brother to get what he wants, now he is deceived by his uncle. But through this, God shows Jacob how harmful deception can be and teaches him that Obviously, deception isn't good. And so that helps him to grow. God is growing Jacob to be more like him, to be able to reflect God's own image. 
And we see this process continue when God tells Jacob to go back to the land of his father. God has more plans for Jacob and is going to grow him even more through this next step in his life. But Jacob's probably like, what? (laughs) You want me to go back there where my brother lives? He wants to kill me. Nah. Like, that would be so scary. (laughs) So do you guys remember how I told you about Bri and I's fight? She was so mad at me. She didn't talk to me for days after that fight. And she literally tried to avoid me as much as she could. And I was terrified of approaching her. She's kind of one of those people that, like, you can see when she's mad. Like, she's kind of, like, fuming. Like, the smoke's coming out of her ears and everything. It was scary. So if I was this scared of a friend who was angry at me, I couldn't even imagine how Jacob felt going back to a brother who wanted to kill him. This would be terrifying. But ultimately, God is in control, and he knows that Jacob needs to return. And thankfully, even though Jacob is fearful of his brother, he goes. So let's take a look at Genesis 33, verses 22 through 31, and we'll see how God prepares Jacob for this meeting. And guys, it's probably the most unconventional pep talk ever. So that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It was because I saw, the face, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose over above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is kind of crazy, isn't it? God literally wrestles with Jacob, and then he blesses him. This kind of sounds like a very much a guy thing to me. <laughs> But really, what's going on here? (laughs) Well, part of what's happening is that God is trying to prepare Jacob to meet with Esau. Before this interaction with God, Jacob is really fearful of how his brother is going to react to his return. So he ends up separating all of his people and possessions into two groups, so that if one is lost, the other will be safe. Jacob is reacting in a very fearful way, even though God had told him to go back and see his brother. Jacob is not trusting that God will protect him and his family. Jacob is trusting his smarts and his cunning more than he's trusting God. This is part of the reason why God wrestles with him and wrenches his hip. God is trying to grow Jacob's character through this encounter. Throughout Jacob's life, he has used his smarts to manipulate and control things, mostly out of fear. 
By wrenching his hip, God is showing Jacob that he can't depend on his physical strength and human cunning. God wants him to depend on him alone. And thankfully, Jacob realizes this. And we see this change in Jacob when he realizes the man he's wrestling with is God. Because he obviously doesn't know at first. And he shows God that he does depend on him through his deep desire for his blessing. He literally like won't let go of God until he blesses him. And Jacob was willing to let his interaction with God change him and shape him. Instead of being fearful, he now becomes dependent on God. How often are we willing to let our interactions with God change us? Are we willing to let God change our character? While allowing God to change us might be hard, and probably very much against our human condition, I think it is the best thing for us. God wants to be a part of forming your character, of growing you more into his image. Look at how God changed Jacob. He was once a deceitful, fearful man, wanting to be in control of everything in his life. Through his interactions with God, he, comes, he becomes more confident, but not of himself, of God and his promises. God grew Jacob throughout his life to be able to reflect God's image, and I think especially to reflect his image to his brother and to whoever else he would meet. But God not only grows Jacob in his character, he also shows Jacob that he doesn't have to worry about his meeting with his brother. And he does this by giving Jacob a new name. And that name is Israel, which as we read, means he struggled with God and humans and he overcame. Wouldn't this give you like a lot of courage if you were going into like a tough situation and God called you a new name that said you overcome? <laughs> I think it would give me a lot of courage. And so Jacob goes and meets his brother with God, which is really cool. And thankfully, when God or when Jacob does meet his brother, God's promise rings true. Esau is not mad anymore, and he ends up running to him and embracing Jacob. He even invites him back to his home and refuses the large gift of livestock that Jacob wanted to give him. Esau's reaction to his brother is obviously a blessing from God, a sign for Jacob that he could trust God in whatever God told him to do. Now, sadly, my reconciliation with Bree wasn't as spectacular as Jacob and Esau's. I wasn't able to give her a lot of livestock, and we didn't really hug it out, but I was able to apologize, and we made up. It was awesome. <laughs> and we actually even laugh about it now. We've grown a lot since then, and I think this conflict with Bree really grew me. And I think God used the conflict in Jacob's life to grow him. But the cool thing is that, is that God doesn't just use conflict to grow us. He also wants to reconcile that conflict and to help people forgive each other. So as we saw in Jacob and Esau's story, God, along with Jacob, also wanted to bring reconciliation to the broken family. God purposely sent Jacob back, not only to reclaim his father's land, but also to bring reconciliation and to forgive his brother. And it's no wonder, because God is the God of reconciliation. He did it with us, and I think he wants to help us be reconciled to the people around us. Is there anyone that you guys need to reconcile with? A friend or family member, or maybe even God? 
We all have conflict in our lives, and God wants to redeem that conflict and those relationships. We just have to be willing to step out and let God move. In conclusion, through the story of Esau and Jacob, we learn that it is very foolish to live in the moment and can damage not only your human relationships, but also your relationship with God and potentially your future. We learn that God wants to change us through our interactions with him, and this could potentially be over our whole life. We also learn that God rejoices in reconciliation. He is the God of reconciliation, reconciling us to him, but also wanting us to be reconciled with each other. At this time, can I have the worship team come up as I leave us with a few reflection questions? So reflection question number one, are you living for the present moment or for the future? What behaviors might you need to start changing or giving up to be able to live for the future? Are you allowing your interactions with God to change you? How might God want to change you and grow you in this next season of your life? Third question is, who might you need to reconcile with? And I would encourage you all to, like, not just sit in this. Like, if you guys need to reconcile with somebody, even somebody in this room, like, be brave and step out and, like, trust that God is going to redeem those conflicts and those relationships. So as we go into worship, I'm going to pray to close. Father God, I just thank you for all that you've been teaching us through the story of Jacob and Esau. I thank you that you really don't want to leave us where we are. You want to continue to grow with us through our entire lives. And I just pray that we would all just really have a good interaction with you tonight, that you would change our hearts and continue to mold us into the people that you want to be, want us to be. I also pray that um, those of us that need to reconcile with you or with others would not be afraid to do it, that we would step out of our comfort zone and trust that you are going to provide. Father, I just pray that you would be with us during this time of worship and that you would bless this time. In your name we pray. Amen.